Hi there. Welcome to Creation Station Monthly. This is our monthly show where we talk to two creators. I'm Bob from Creation Station. And this month, you're going to think I'm a bit strange. We're talking science fairs. And you know we can be creative with science fairs and do all sorts of really fun stuff around here. As always, Creation Station at Broward.org comes right to me if you have any ideas or questions about the show. Right now, I want to introduce you to our two guests today. Number one is Valerie Marshall joining us from Chicago. Is it really Chicago up there? So I am actually in a suburb of Chicago called Schiller Park. So my name is Valerie Marshall. I am the director of the Schiller Park Public Library. I used to be a manager with Broward County Libraries, and I actually started the annual Science Fair Fest that we're going to be talking about today for Broward County Libraries. So that's why I'm here. It's awesome. And Lisa, tell us about what you do. Hi, I'm Lisa Malankovic. I'm the supervisor for STEM and computer science at Broward County Public Schools and also the lead for the Broward Area STEM ecosystem, where we try to bring in and out of school time providers all together. And that's where I met Valerie. So, yeah, anybody out there doubting? No, we have two experts at science fairs today. So <laughs> we are going to cover a lot of ground on this kind of stuff and do some things. But I want to get started with one of the questions I usually ask near the end of the shows. How could you make this into a career? Because most people wouldn't think that a science fair thing could be a career, but you two have almost pulled that off. So, so tell us about that, Lisa. You go first, because with the school board, how did you get, get, manage to pull this off? Well, I actually, I, I'm a career changer. So I would say my first career was doing re science research. I was a scientist. I consider myself still a scientist. My doctorate is in chemistry and analytical chemistry. And I did work on trace metals and on marine neurotoxins, basically science fair projects that we can then extend and, and do a dissertation on. You can get so much in depth on those projects that you can do a dissertation on them and publish about them. And then I switched careers when I had small children and I was doing, they weren't doing enough science, hands-on science in, in elementary school. So I thought I'd volunteer in preschool, actually. I started volunteering then through elementary school. And then I got asked to teach and then became the supervisor. And I got stuck in teaching and never left it. So this has been the career I've had the longest, but I still go back and use what I learned in science research. And that's kind of, that is what you're doing in a science fair. Yeah. Doing original research and sharing it and publishing and disseminating and communicating and then changing what you think based on what others think about your research. That is, that's awesome. How about you, Valerie? So before I worked in libraries, I actually had a chance to work in a science museum for about three years as the essentially the manager in charge of field trips. And before working there, I really didn't have anything beyond a passing interest in STEM. And once I worked at the science museum, we would serve 600 kids a day coming in on field trips. And I got to know how fun and engaging hands on science activities could be. We did dissections. We did um, a human yo-yo where it would actually lift you up in the air. I always got to touch sea stars and, and shrimp every day in our touch tank. So it was so much fun that when I went into libraries, I knew that it would be a big attractant 
to customers coming into libraries to get their hands on things that sometimes schools don't have the money for the supplies or, you know, sometimes it's just a little too messy for parents to want to do at home. So we kind of took that on and, it, and it's been a great success through every library that I've gone to, including here at my library. So um, at my library now, we actually offer STEM kits that we can lend out to our families. So if you go on our website under kids and teens and then children's world, and you scroll down as you see on the screen, we have several different themed kits from anatomy to geology um, to engineering, and it's just guided activities that get people excited and knowledgeable about what there is out there outside of a textbook or in addition to what you learn from your books. I love those. We have something similar on our website. It's a, um, we have quarterly challenges that bring in what they've learned and you can use those challenges and tie them in and create a science fair project out of them. Sometimes they're online in Minecraft and it's the bit.ly with Broward STEM challenges. And those are open. So if you look at first quarter challenges, you can see what's available right now. We also tend to advertise some other challenges that are not ours. So right now we have a making a PSA video about recycling or doing a Minecraft challenge around a sustainable development goal and building a world in Minecraft to explain something. I know my daughter did her science fair project in middle school in Minecraft and she was determining the gravity of the Minecraft world using archery in Minecraft. So you nice. in games, but gaming is a tool. Yeah, and all for that, that that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think also going back to turning this into a career, um, Lisa and Bob and I in previous years with Broward County Library worked on at least um tangentially together the Science Fair Fest because if you are a public library, your best bet is to work with your local schools to go along with those challenges that they're doing and to pay attention to the you know, science fair that's happening and make sure you have those resources available for your community to supplement what the schools are offering. And it creates a wonderful partnership. Yes. And tell and tell us, Lisa, you go, go first, Lisa, you tell us. Uh, I was going to say in the challenges, we'll put in the, the Broward County science fair rules and, and they, you know, they're, they have a lot of paperwork and things that have to be done that you would have done at the science fair fest and gone over that, that process. We'll put that in that Broward STEM challenges page as well. I just got the dates from the secondary science team on that. People can just go onto those websites and grab those challenges and do them on their own anyway. Yes, they can. That, it was intentional. It started during COVID and it was kind of getting the teacher, if necessary, the parents can go on and find things for their child to do, or a teacher can just actually pull them. You can canvas, they can pull it right into their course and use them as an assignment too. So it's available for everybody. It's open access. So you can go ahead and do them. We probably only give prizes to Broward students, but you never know. We we have something good. We've done some really straight, you know, interesting challenges. For example, we had making a making taking a makey makey and making a game controller out of it. It's called the take control challenge. That was because you felt we felt you couldn't take control of anything else. You might as well make a game controller. And <laughs> We sent them home during COVID to people's houses. They registered, we sent them to their houses, and they sent back a video of their controller working. One made one out of gingerbread. It was really interesting. That sounds like fun. I've actually seen kids make them out of bananas. Yeah, bananas <laughs> is another one. Food is always great to play with. 
Um, I wanted to also share, and I just stuck this right in the chat, Bob, for coolest projects. And one of the things that we're going to be starting to do, probably not with this fair, but maybe we'll start a little pilot of it, is to take some of those cool projects like the, the gingerbread game controller and other things that you can make and create. And maybe not a typical science fair project in the project board, but have them share what they made. More of a maker fair. Kind of. and, and that's really cool and, that, and that's exactly it's right really you, cool. yeah you, cool you get a chance project. to really show well, anybody can do that we're using you know TikTok, youtube whatever you want to be instagram that you're going to be posting your stuff out there you can actually do do your own little like mini science fair at home you don't even have to be associated with the school at all there's actually a really good resource i'd like to highlight um as far as STEM activities that teachers can use, librarians can use. It's um, on StarNet libraries. It's the clearinghouse that they offer. So if you go to, you can even Google STEM clearinghouse and it'll take you here. So StarNet has tons and tons of activities. And if you click on something that you're interested in, it actually has instructional videos, the science behind the activity, all of the materials that you'll need to purchase to complete it. So it's very self-explanatory. So if you click on one of the check it out buttons for me, Bob. Yeah, yeah all already did. Yeah, I got up one of the uh, Spanish ones because it's nice that when a site is in full bilingual. It is, so it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and you even see on the right-hand side, it says cost associated with the activity materials, $20 and up. That's very reasonable for a teacher, a classroom, a parent, or a librarian to be able to purchase. And if you do happen to need funds for STEM activities, I'm actually a mentor through a program, a grant program called NASA at my library. I was an original grant recipient with Broward County Library, and now I'm a mentor for the new recipients. And I believe this grant program will be continuing in the future. Um, but it provides funding and resources and STEM activities for anyone who wants to take that on in public libraries. It's a very fun thing and us mentors support you through ALA Connect. So if anybody you know, wants more information about that, please let us know. Now, that leads me on to my next question for you guys. So Lisa, tell us about who, who was your mentor? Who, how did you get started? started in this, like you said, you've changed careers a lot. How did you get into this idea of wanting to be into science in the first place? Was it jumping in mud puddles or was it, did you yeah. have somebody at home that, that got you really involved in it? More a teacher, I think. I, I started realizing I was good in math and I, and I enjoyed science, right? So I, when I was in high school, we had a large high school. I, mean, I actually went to Coral Springs High School, so here locally, but at the time there were 4,000 students. I guess it was the Cypress Bay of its day, but we are in double session, 4,000 students, and because we had that many students, we had classes that other schools didn't have. I had organic chemistry and environmental chemistry in high school. We had our own little glassware kit, and we were distilling and making meringues and cooking and learning about the science behind cooking and getting to do a lot of fun things, and also the environmental side, I think I got from that. And it was because I had a chemistry teacher two years in a row, and I thought, oh, chemistry is something I could do. 
And at the time I wanted to become a doctor and I was pre-med. I was pre-med all the way until my junior junior year of college. And then I changed my mind and decided I liked the chemistry better and went into chemistry for graduate school instead. So kind of me. Another. How did, that, how did I want to hear that conversation? How did that go over? And say, oh no, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore, mom and dad. Well, I am a doctor. I'm just not a doctor that is a medical doctor, and it's a lot, you know, more reasonably financially for as far as my parents go. Because when you go to chemistry for graduate school, most often you get a teaching assistantship or a research assistantship because they, they need TAs to help with labs for chemistry. So it was good. I had my tuition was paid for for four nice. years and had a research assistant. In my work at the New England Aquarium, that's when we were talking about the high pool and getting to do that. We got to do a lot of other research there. In addition to my research, I got to help out on things like the Boston Harbor cleanup and other and, and rescue baby seals and help release them. And because I was the computer person, I got to track the whales, the pilot whales, when they were being um, released. Nice. How about you, Valerie? Who, who, how did you get into, who, who was it that, that pushed you that, or helped you along your path? So, like I said, I just happened to get a job out of college in a science museum um, instead of a library because I got a museum studies certificate along with my master's for library and information science. And my mentor is actually my first boss there. Um, I don't know if she'll appreciate me calling her out by name, but I will say her name anyway. Carlisa Callwood is an amazing scientist and she is an amazing mentor because she showed me that even though I didn't necessarily have the background in science, you can teach that part. That part is learnable if you have someone who's willing and excited about it. And that attitude translated into not only me developing a passion for STEM, but a passion for being able to teach it to other people who may think that it's intimidating or, you know, they've just never been able to do it before in a different type of setting. And we, if you do it in a way that doesn't have a grade or that doesn't have any pressure to it and, and where you encourage exploration and there's no failing because it's just finding different answers, people are much more likely to embrace trying out STEM in different avenues. So that's why we started this, you know, STEM Fest and other activities. And I still think of her to this day and, and all of the encouragement that she gave me. So thank you, Carlisa. Yeah, I always think about that that quote, you know, the, sci the science gets interesting when it's like, oh, huh. And that's when, like, oh, wait, now people are discovering interesting things. Um, what do you guys think about, uh, as a society, because, Valerie, you mentioned grading. So I think so many people think about science and they think about grades or success or failure. What do you guys think about the, uh, the concept of the science fair or just doing your own little mini science fairs at home with the kids or whatever? Like, uh, as an adult, I do it. It's just called baking and I try different experiments and see which ones make it and which ones don't. Um, what do you guys think about how the rest of society is thinking about this? I think it's important to encourage your students to come up with questions. And the way to come up with questions is to basically to have unusual answers, right? Just have something happen and observe something unusual and then you start to question it. 
and coming up with the testable question is the most important part of the science fair. So even if you're getting an idea from a cookbook because you're cooking, ask yourself, well, why is the recipe that way? And how can I change something? How can I make it better? And I think a lot of the engineering challenges are around making something better or trying to develop something, a question around a grand challenge and try to answer your small part of a challenge and go a little bit deeper into it. So um, there's this activity of sorting cards in the STEM clearinghouse I talked about earlier called how big, how far, and how hot. It's three different sets of cards with pictures of different items. And in the first one, um, or sorry, the second one, how far, there's these pictures and two of the pictures are of an eagle and the space station. We don't tell people what the subject of the cards is before we have them sort them. And then after they sort them, we say, okay, um, how did you think they were related? And then we say, okay, one of the answers we have is how far they are away from you. And one of the customers had the space station closer than the eagle. And they said, no, I'm right, because I live in a place where this eagle is not from and is not part of my you know, home state, but the space station is over my head at least a couple times a year. So the space station is closer to me than the eagle. Now, we gave them credit and they got a prize, of course, because that's thinking outside the box. That's the whole scientific process. You don't always have one right answer, or you have to go through a lot of experimentation before you get to the answer you were looking for. And I think that's important to encourage without, like I said, um, the, the pressures of getting graded or the pressures of, you know, potentially losing your job or anything like that, just in different environments. Oh, I, I don't, I, you already told me we can put a human yo-yo here. You said that already, so that's on the record. Now I get to try this, and I got an eight-story building that I can practice with. That's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do want to—you kind of tangentially mentioned something there, uh, Valerie, about how you can do this and what it takes to do it. And I know when you were doing the science fairs here down in Broward County, you were giving out like the the boards that Lisa pointed out earlier. You know, you do your traditional science fair boards and stuff like that. What do you think is the equipment somebody needs at home just to be able to pull this off? To be able to do experiments? Well, you don't need the board. <laughs> That's one thing you don't need. In fact, the county is moving for everyone submitting it uh, video and the documentation that is needed, the data, if you report, you know, the PowerPoint or some slides or some sort of document that 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 explains what your experiment was about and a video of, of you explaining it. But that, that's what's important is that you understand what you did and why you did it and you recorded data and you analyze that data and, and you use that data to make a, draw a conclusion, right? And to maybe come up with a new question going through that process. The board is not the important part and they're moving away from that because we haven't been able to be in person. So kind of modernizing that, that science for a bit. But what do you need? You need probably some way of recording data, and that can be on a phone. Or if you don't have, if you can't find paper and pen anywhere in the house, it's always good to have a journal and be able to record your data so you can prove it if someone comes out. If you're doing an experiment or 
an invention, right? You want to be able to prove that you did it and when you did it. So that's why you write things down and timestamp them. And everything yeah, that, that's my biggest, my kitchen thing. My wife experiments widely with recipes and never writes anything down. Oh, I think I did this last time. And I'm like, no, we need to write it down. <laughs> write it down. What do you think, Valerie? What, what do you think the, the bare minimums are or what kind of gear do you think people can just have around the house and do? It all depends on the type of experiment you're doing, right? The best type of experimentation comes from boredom, I think. And what's around you, like there, you can experiment with water in the freezer and see how long it takes water to freeze in different shapes of containers you already have. Um, there was one activity I did where all you needed was a piece of fruit. You stab it with a pencil and then you hold a flashlight next to it to see where the shadow falls and talking about, you know, moon phases and eclipses in that way. Um, and as far as recording data, there are a lot of apps out there. Uh, for NASA citizen scientists that actually tell you experiments you can already do by just taking a walk outside and seeing how tall the grass grows every day or um, the shadows of the trees in your yard. So you don't need too much. And one of the things that Bob just put up on the screen for me is keep an eye out for the upcoming solar eclipses. Um, we had excellent attendance at the last solar eclipse events. I'm talking about people in the thousands. And if you scroll to the bottom, public libraries can actually apply to get free eclipse glasses to give out to the public so that they can watch the eclipse and you can uh, take drawings of the shadows that the eclipse casts on the ground. You can time the eclipse. So there are many different experiments you can do with things you can get for free in the community or that you have around your house. I'm wondering about this whole stabbing fruit thing now. Yeah, I was going to say something about that too. I want to hear more about this, Valerie. T tell us about stabbing fruit here. Come on, tell us. I just put an orange on a stick so I could hold it up. It was the easiest way to hold it up. The juice did drip on my hand. So, but I have also done experiments where we had a surgeon come talk to some of the kids at the science museum where I worked. And they would, uh, you would take the skin of an orange or a banana and learn how to sew it together like preliminary surgical stitches and different knot tying techniques. Cool. Those, of course, that. use caution and parental permission. Don't use anything that could hurt yourself. Uh, I think my mom's going to let me get away with just about anything right now. <laughs> That's a good thing. So you guys are giving me all sorts of really cool ideas to use while I'm down. Well, well, we got a storm here. I got another day off at home. Hopefully, we'll we'll spend some time experimenting and having some fun stuff. Well, yeah, we use those flashlights for something, right? Yeah, I guess you can do some shadows. Puppet shadows, puppets. I used to do with my students all the time too. And oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. We're, we're gonna lose power, and then we're gonna yeah. That'll be so. We we know the bare minimum. Give us. Lisa, you had access to some things. What was the dream piece of equipment that you want? What's the best possible want? thing you can dream of to do something in for uh, science fairs? Well, I mean, I was an analytical chemist, so I had like the world of instruments at my fingertips there, or the at least the state of the art from the 1980s, which has probably changed a bit by now. But, uh, Trying to think what kind of experiments. I do want to point out that you can go do experiments um, for, with citizen science. And on our 
ecosystem paper, <clears throat> excuse me, on the basestem.org page, there's a link to Science Near Me, and that links in with um, citizen science projects near you, wherever you are. If you go under events and programs, on the top, not fast, so you have to give Wix the time. There it comes. Yep. <laughs> the wait time. Um, this will give you some experiments and citizen science projects you can go do, um, some of which are with the Museum of Discovery of Science, some of which are other local organizations. And we're starting to try to get uh, the whole ecosystem putting things in. Also, citizen science projects that you can do anywhere, like Valerie mentioned some of those, like the GLOBE projects where you're looking at clouds. You have an app that you can take pictures of the clouds from the ground, and then NASA will send you the pictures taken from the satellite so you can get your clouds from both sides. Kind of, kind of cool. So as far as my dream experiments, I think nowadays it's just having some sort of sensors that you can use to measure things. So you can use sensors, either in a pH meter or use your phone. Has your phone has a lot of sensors in there. So the Google Science Lab uh, Science um, application lets you use the sensors in your phone, the accelerometer and take different measurements. So I think I would try to come up with experiments that would use the sensors in my phone. Cool. How about you, Valerie? What's your, what's your ultimate goal, high, cool thing? It's, it's not a large scale thing, but it was really cool to be able to give out attachments for the cell phone. Like Lisa was just talking about, there was a microscope attachment we could give out for smartphones. There's also a thermal camera that you can attach to your smartphone to read temperatures in the room. So there's just a lot of really cool attachments and apps on your phone that help you collect scientific data. And they're just really fun to use. Uh, we do have the citizen science kits for anybody who's here in South Florida at the libraries. We've got them at North Florida Library, Daniel Library, a couple of places that you can go check out kits. And for any school teachers out there, visit the North Lauderdale Creation Station Science. They've got a whole setup for you out there too. Um, want to touch back on the idea of getting started in this. And normally I would ask who helped you get started? Like we talked about mentors and, you know, where did you start on your path? This time I want to flip it around and say, who do you think needs to start because I'm going to be the spoiler here and say, everyone can do this. It doesn't matter what age we're not talking science fair just for kids here. We're talking science fair for everybody. But what do you, where do you think that, that, um, how to guide someone like that when to guide someone comes from either so of you for grab me, it. For me, um, where I like to start is getting people comfortable doing things that they already do. Like Bob, you were talking about cooking is science. People don't necessarily realize that cooking is science, but it's science, especially baking. If your measurements are not correct, you're going to get a harder or a softer cookie than you wanted, for example. And as they're doing that and they're like, oh, this is fun. This is awesome. You slip in a little bit about how it's science to pique their interest and to get their technique you know, refined using 
the scientific data and the experimentation process. And once you're hooked, you're hooked and you try different types of experiments. So I, I like to start with things that people are already doing. I would agree with that. I, I remember my students were always having a difficult time and I didn't want to just give them a list of these are the science fair projects you can do, right? So I would oh I would interview each of them and ask them what they did in their spare time. You know, if they're a baseball player, well, think about what bothers you, what what is the problem that you have with baseball and try to see if you can come up with a question and an experiment that can help you answer and solve that problem or come a little bit closer to it. Or maybe if there's an invention around baseball that you can invent something to help you solve the problem or just to better understand what the problem is by measuring something. So that's how, what the wind resistance around that scuffed baseball is versus a smooth yeah. baseball. Yeah. I can see that happening. I can see that. Um, what is, and here's, here's the, the downer part of things. Um, you guys are both women in a scientific field. What is the help that you wish you would have gotten that you didn't get? Or maybe you were lucky and got what you needed or how, how it's a different way of thinking about it. Cause I want to know not how you're going to help somebody else, but from your perspectives, how you got started back then, you know, what, what was it that was missing that could have gotten you started earlier or made up your mind a little bit better? For me, I might have pursued a more traditional STEM career if I had thought it was something I had more access to, right? And I did have some very good science teachers, but they were all men. If I think back to the teachers that I had in science specifically, they were all men and they were very encouraging, but I didn't see a role model that looked like me and seemed like me going into that type of field. So I, and, and I love my job. I'm glad I ended up here where it's informal and I still get to incorporate STEM education, but I would like to encourage more women to pursue this and, and, and more kids in general and people from underrepresented populations, just to say, like, if you don't see somebody who looks like you, be that person for somebody else. You can do this and and it's really fun and it's fulfilling. And um, some of the professions related to STEM are very lucrative and they especially help the world. Like you can help with, you know, pollution, you can help with the oceans, you can help with animals and, and anything that you're interested in can translate into a STEM career or a STEM hobby if you're not interested in doing it for your job. I agree. You know, I as I started out as a scientist um, and worked on, when I did the Boston Harbor Cleaner, I actually worked in the water and wastewater department in greater Boston. So I was in the sewer treatment plant and there are very few women there. And I was, you know, trying to help solve a problem in the plant that, that something was coming through and we had to try to solve it. And I got called the secretary because I was looking through data. Already with a doctorate in chemists, but I was the only woman there in the room. So I kind of got you. Now I realize that you need to help lift up other people that might not necessarily feel like they belong and make other people, make everyone belong. There's no reason why anyone and everyone can't do science. And I also want to recommend that everyone takes computer science. 
practice, no matter what field you go into, science or not science, knowing computer science and understanding what a computer can do and what you can program a computer to or someone else can, pro even if you're not the programmer and you want to, you can come up with an idea for an app or know that something can get done, you can help if you have had some computer science. So what do we do to pull that off? We do stuff well, like science fairs. Right. Well, <laughs> you have fun. You do fun science experiments. Yeah. You do proud, you know, you go out and do some fun citizen science projects with a group of people, like the beach cleanup that they just had, right? And you're going out and collecting data around what's out there on the beach and you're cleaning the beach at the same time. Yeah, we did a thing over at North Lauderdale with uh, butterflies and uh, which plants they were eating more of so that they could do that and make that happen. Um, do you want to get into – let's phrase this one for you. Um, what is – science is all about failure. Mm -hmm. So what was you – I want – two answers. One was, what are you most proud of, of your science fair type stuff of, of what you've pulled off? But I want to know what was the coolest failure? The, the one that was like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. What? Did anything ever blow up on you, Lisa? Oh, I have a good one. <laughs> well, close. I mean, yes. I, I, we used to have a fluorometer, so I would measure it. We were, I was using humic materials, which are basically pond scum, the degrading leaves, leaf matter. And it was up in Boston, which is a little bit more common. You, you have fall up there. We don't have a whole lot of fall here. <laughs> and, um, in the reservoir system, they would use copper to treat the reservoir. And if you didn't have get too much humic material, the copper would bind to the humic material and it wouldn't be able to treat the reservoir as far as getting rid of the algae. So that was sort of the application of my research. But we were using fluorescence and the fluorescence, probably I'm trying to think, you see fluorescence and glow in the dark neon. Right? But this was an instrument that could measure fluorescence um, that was happening. But every time we turned on the fluorometer, it was a xenon arc lamp, high, very powerful lamp. And everything else in the whole lab would reboot. So you'd have to do, and it wasn't, and we tried, many things to try to figure out what was going on. We tried running an extension cord to a separate panel in diff different circuits, didn't matter, everything rebooted. So we basically had to work around it and remember that we wanted to turn that on first so that everything can finish rebooting for collecting data. So I would then had a program that would then collect all the data from the fluorometer. I had an auto titrator so I could, and I wrote a program so I could then that's why you need computer science. You can get everything started and then you can leave. And I would go and run errands and go to Faneuil Hall and go shop and North End and then come back and get my data. <laughs> How about you, Valerie? What's the biggest crash? So this isn't directly me, but it happened in my apartment once where I was just opening my oven door. It wasn't even turned on. I opened my oven door to store something in there, like a pot or a pan or something. When I closed the oven door, all of the electricity of my household just shut down. 
And when I called the maintenance person, they did not believe me that that is what happened. They said, no, you must have turned something on or plugged something too many things in the plug. And I said, no, no. So they turned my power back on and then they came into my apartment to look and I said, okay, we're going to do an experiment. You see that the oven is not on. Nothing's on. Let me open the oven door and I shut it and the power went off and the electrician oh. was stumped. <laughs> So they had to call in some reinforcements and finally they figured out that they had just installed a new stovetop for me about a week prior to this. And it was pulling too much power for the circuitry that they that they had in my apartment. Um, so they just had to switch out for an older model of oven. But I'm so grateful for the experts that we don't even think about that these careers are STEM, right? But the electricians, the plumbers, uh, the people in, like you were saying, water waste management that we don't even think about that help us run our daily lives and keep us safe and keep us functioning. There's so many things out there. If you like cars, you can be a car engineer, you know, and you're not always going to get it right. You might put the wrong oven in somebody's apartment, but you have a chance to fix it. And and most of the time, it's not going to be a big catastrophe. You're just, it's a learning event. And that's the whole point. We're all constantly learning. Somebody had to figure out the first smartphone. You know, I'm sure there were a lot of mistakes along that way or the first video game and, and look where we are now. It's only getting better. I'm all, I'm all aboard the getting better train. That That's a good thing. Yeah. Tell me what your biggest success is, Lisa. Well, I think now being able to bring STEM to more students, you know, being able to bring experiences, um, like we just had space day and we had an engineer from one of our former students come in and talk to us, talk across the district. We had 1100 classrooms log in at 155 different sites. We were live broadcasting from one school all the way out. And it was to see one of our former students talk about her work at Blue Origin and the work that they're doing there. And also they got to send postcards that they'll be able to get back and get something flown in space. And now they all, know, they all know a rocket scientist now. They, everyone, right. And she came back to visit and she'll come again. And, and it's, it's great. So, you know, be able to, to show and to show our students what they can be. Because there's a female student who's now a rocket scientist. And that's what she, from her teacher in high school, she decided that's what she was going to be. And being awesome. able to make a difference in, in students. I have students that I had that also with space got a patch. We were doing a moon based experiment and got someone from NASA came to visit and gave her a patch. And she's had that patch and now she just graduated from Embry Riddle. She's in space ground ops. She's working for Lockheed Martin as an engineer. So being able to lift up and bring our students up and show them that anyone could do STEM. That's very cool. Yeah. How about you, Valerie? Your chance to brag. What's, what's, what's your biggest, coolest thing you ever did? I'm going to say, um, in addition to Science Fair Fest and working at a museum, I've done a bunch of cool things. But one moment that sticks with me is we had the South Florida Amateur Astronomers Association visit one of my Broward County libraries once a month. And I once walked out there and in addition to inspiring kids, there was a woman who was, I believe, in her late 50s who was 
just smiling ecstatically. And she said, that's the first time I've ever seen a planet. She got to look through a telescope and, and it was her first time. And, and it's never too late to find the joy and the thrill of something that you've never done before. So I, that sticks with me. It was so touching. One last thing for you guys, because we've already gone all three quarters of the way through everything already. Uh, these conversations just fly sometimes. Um, what is it that you want to change about how others or, or help others change how they express themselves this way? Because you, you have both figured out that way to do it on your own, to, to, to break out of whatever you used to think and think along these lines now. What do you think is, is the best way for someone else? We already talked about try doing experiments, try doing these things, but there's going to be people out there listening to this that are going to say, well, yeah, but they're still not going to do it. That's not me. That's not what I get. You know, what, what's the way to, to crack that? What's the way to break that? So one day I hope that calling something a STEM program brings about the amount of excitement that it does for me. The technique that I use is having these programs without calling them STEM. Uh, one of my first times trying to do a STEM program as a librarian, having had the science museum background, I asked my boss and she was like, no, that sounds too much like school. We're not doing that. No one's gonna come. So I changed the name of it to Munchkin Mondays, but I still did all the science experiments and I would get an average of 50 to 80 kids because the kids kind of know a little bit more about how this can be fun because STEM has now been, you know, in their in their lifetime as something exciting and, and something that is being taught in the schools. But for for people my age and older, it's still a challenge. It still to them seems like school and I'm hoping one day that again, the word STEM doesn't have any stigma behind it. And it's just all about, you know, this is thrilling and this is gonna change the world. I think Lisa wants to uh, fight back about the school is boring part. <laughs> no, I, I mean, sometimes it is. I, I will say that doing STEM is the not boring part and we're the fun part. So I think that STEM is fun, I think is what we try to get at and also, that, that STEM is so broad, you know, we are doing whether they're talking about space or we're talking about climate change and trying to make a difference there and pollution and learning about our environment and the butterflies. But also learning how to make, you know, make our next cell phone or manufacture our next new material, you know, new fabric or coating on a fabric and things that, that you don't notice make a difference, but because they're such a the molecular scale, but they really make a difference in your in your everyday living. So just getting people to understand that STEM is all around you and that it really is something that you're using. So maybe learn a little bit more about it and that it's for everyone. So make more cookies. And yeah, always bake more and- Yeah, I'm on board with this. I like this idea. Yeah. This is a good thing. Thank you guys both very much for being here today. This is really fun. I know there's a tremendous amount of links that we shared out today, and I will post these all on under the show notes for everybody so that everybody can go find all these things later on. Uh, let me throw up our ending slide here. Again, 
Thank you, Valerie and Lisa, for being here and giving us all these really cool ideas and how to how to do our own citizen science stuff at home. If there's a guest you want to see on a topic, let us know. Creation Station at Broward.org. Everybody stay safe out there and we'll see you soon.